Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. Sports like no other. Let's get it. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. I am your host, Matty Ice, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a little nervous because I really don't know where Brad is. Full disclosure, Brad is my new co-host. He's a new presence here on the show. And over the weekend, he went to the Cardinals-Braves game. Had a great time. I was getting pictures from him. It seemed like it was a fantastic time. Marlins guy was even there. But the thing that worries me the most about this is the fact that he was getting closer to the state of Nebraska. Why is that significant? Well, if you listened to last week's episode, which I know you did, then you heard us trash Nebraska Cornhusker football because it has been irrelevant for such a long time. I don't understand why there's still such a hype around the program. We talked about Scott Frost. We talked about the fact that it's really difficult to get recruits to go there. And honestly, I don't really know what there is to be excited about when it comes to Nebraska football. I haven't heard from Brad since he was at the game, and obviously I'm a little bit concerned. So I have this strange feeling that Cornhusker Nation took him out in a way that's going to mean I'm going to have to continue to do this show. So let's hope that next week we find Brad safe and healthy and back on the show. Speaking of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, over the weekend we saw the first games of college football. So I guess you could say that college football began in earnest. Now, there were not any big-time matchups to speak of. The big matchup of the weekend happened in Ireland. And I know whenever you think of college football and whenever you think of the country of Ireland, you think Nebraska Cornhuskers and Northwestern Wildcats. This is a Big Ten matchup. When you're starting your season off against a big rival, even though it's an in-conference game and even though neither of these teams will necessarily be there When all is said and done, when I say be there, I mean in the national picture, it still is a big way and it's it's a way to start your season off on the right foot. Both of these programs travel over to Ireland. My guess is that this was supposed to happen for Notre Dame at some point, probably during the pandemic. I think that's what was supposed to happen. I'm pretty sure that Notre Dame was supposed to play in Ireland and it was during the pandemic year of 2020. Everything was in chaos either way. So Nebraska goes over there, and there has been a lot of hype about this season coming up for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And why am I talking about them specifically? Well, we trashed them last week. Brad isn't here. So I feel like we have to talk about the outcome of the game. Scott Frost has had an interesting career arc. Interestingly enough, he was a great player at Nebraska back when Nebraska actually meant something. This is a long time ago. He coaches at UCF, and UCF has a undefeated run, an undefeated run, that really should have resulted in them being in the college football playoff. It did not. They ended up winning their bowl game against Auburn, an SEC team, a formidable SEC team. And really, they felt that they had some stake to the national championship. Say what you will about that. I don't necessarily want to say that they did, but I do think that they deserved a shot to at least get blown out by one of those teams, maybe even beat one of those teams. The next year, he has another fantastic season. I think it was a one-loss season. I want to say that Scott Frost went something like 24 or 25-1 and in two seasons at UCF. And of course, when you're at a school like UCF, which is not considered one of the big-time programs, it's always seen as a way or a stepping stone to another job. I think that a lot of college coaches go through this. It happens all the time. So Scott Frost ends up getting wooed by his former school, his alma mater, in Nebraska. Nebraska has not really been relevant for a while. They have had some good players come through there. I'm thinking in Dominican Sioux, but that was a long time ago. 
I specifically remember when Virginia Tech played Nebraska. They had a little home and home that Virginia Tech took both games of. There was a little bit of excitement in that one game that happened in Blacksburg where Tyrod Taylor led a comeback late in the game. And Dominican Sue had a fantastic game. Obviously, he has gone on to NFL success. But the program at large, and I mean Nebraska football, really hasn't been relevant. They made the move to the Big Ten. And I think that by moving to the Big Ten, they became a smaller fish in a much larger sea because there is a lot of competition in the Big Ten. And we're talking Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. These are blue blood programs in college football. And how are you going to compete? And I think really it came down to money. That's what it was all about. Scott Frost ends up going there and there was a lot of hope. There always is whenever you change coaches. I mean, this is happening at Notre Dame now. Brian Kelly leaves. You get in a new guy who Brad talked about last week, who he feels is going to invigorate the fan base and is going to make it less easy to hate on Notre Dame. So of course you get a former great player at Nebraska and there's a lot of hype. But I gotta tell you, I didn't believe in the hype because in my mind, he should have stayed at UCF and continued to have this dynasty. And look at what we're talking about now with college football, this realignment stuff. There are so many places that UCF could have gone had they continued on that trend of just winning 10, 11, 12 games, being in the playoff conversation. Scott Frost could have had a great career coaching at UCF. And Orlando is a big city. UCF is a huge school. They would have been dumping a lot of money into that. And I think you, you would have seen UCF possibly overtake some of the larger schools in Florida. Talking about Florida State, who's obviously been on a complete downturn since Jimbo Fisher was there. And of course, you're talking about Miami. And Miami hasn't been able to recapture their early 2000s magic. They're hoping to do so with Mario Cristobal, of course. Scott Frost has been mostly, his tenure in Nebraska has been mostly a failure. And how do you judge failure in terms of a college football coach? Wins and losses is really how you do that. And you can't look at the Nebraska program and tell yourself that they have been successful. So they travel over to Ireland. And in my mind, it's the first game of the season. Scott Frost is already on the hot seat. This is a game that they have to win. 100% have to win. You do not want to start your season 0-1. And I think for Scott Frost specifically, given everything that happened in the offseason as well, we're talking about articles saying that, hey, his players are puking 10 to 15 times a practice, and that means that they're ready to go. That does not mean that they're ready to go. It just means that you're an idiot when it comes to your practice. And Brad can probably tell you about that, having coached at the high school level, knowing what it takes to coach a successful program, but also knowing that these kids, and even in college, there's a level of kiddom to this. They are adults, but you have to make sure that you treat them as human beings. And there's a line to be drawn. So they go over there, first drive of the game. I was watching the game a little bit. Brad and I were texting back and forth. And they drive right down the field, Nebraska does. And they looked really impressive. New offensive scheme. It looked like they had taken something from some other teams out there. And I'm thinking, Kenny Pickett at Pitt. And they look really good. So I check into the game a little bit later, and they're down late. Now, they were up at halftime. And I think there's a stat roaming around somewhere that he is, and I'm talking about Scott Frost here, something like 3-19. and 19 as head coach in Nebraska when leading at halftime, that to me is a stat that is 100% on the coach. And a lot of people will say, players play, coaches coach, right. But a lot of times you can look at the way that the players play and respond in certain moments and know that there is a coaching issue. I say this a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, that the Dallas Cowboys are being held back by Mike McCarthy, and you can tell that he is a liability how you manage the game, how the players respond to certain situations, 
penalties, the kind of penalties that they're getting, the frequency of penalties, those types of moments. Most of the best coach teams sit up when the time is right, when they need to be there, right? I'm talking about your Patriots being down 28 to three in the Super Bowl. They never panicked because Bill Belichick never panicked. And I think Scott Frost is just not the coach that's going to inspire this kind of thing with the players at Nebraska. Now, I, in fairness, it's hard to recruit at Nebraska because their success has been a long time ago. There isn't much to really write home about in terms of where you're asking them to go. Lincoln, Nebraska, I have never been admittedly, but it's in the middle of the country. It's very cold in the time of year that you're talking about playing football. There probably isn't as much to like as maybe Southern California, Florida, other warm weather Southern places, Texas. They're at a disadvantage when it comes to recruiting. And of course, being in the Big Ten where a lot of these kids are looking at the schools at the top of the division, you're not gonna get the cream of the crop unless you start winning. And it's a vicious cycle. Virginia Tech is going through it right now. They have been muddled in mediocrity since really the last few years of the Frank Beamer era. And it's really because of the shift in college football. Recruiting is not the way that it once was. It was very regional. And it's very difficult for these coaches now to even grab from their own states. When you have Nick Saban calling and you have Ohio State calling, all of these schools come with them heavy traditions of winning. And most players want that kind of success behind them because it's going to lead directly to the NFL. Nebraska ultimately loses another close game. I think it was 31 to 28. And the stat now is that under Scott Frost, I think they are like five and 24 in one possession games or something. I can't remember exactly how many years he has been there, but what I can tell you is that the stats are abysmal when it comes to close games and leading at halftime. Scott Frost, if he wasn't already on the hot seat or the seat wasn't a little bit warm, that seat is on fire right now. And so what Brad and I said last week is 100% accurate. He is on the hot seat, and there's no way that you can say that he isn't. If you're a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, we're not specifically targeting you because we just don't like Nebraska, but there are a lot of fan bases out there that carry with them a lot of bravado that it really is unearned. And I talk about this with Miami Hurricane football a lot. The U is back. Well, you're not showing that on the field. Having one 10-win season doesn't make one program back. Making the playoff competing in the playoff, competing in recruiting, all of these things are signs that you are at the national level. But right now, what I can tell you is that there are really three or four programs that are consistently at that level. And you're talking about Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson is on the fringe, and that's an interesting one that we will be waiting to see what they do this season with everything they have going on. Now, this coming weekend, we have the first real games in college football, and I'm talking about ranked versus ranked opponents. Week one is always an interesting week because in my mind, they've done a great job over the last few years of really giving us a lot of great matchups. A lot of game that the games that the casual fan will look at and say, I've got to tune into that game. I mentioned Notre Dame and Ohio State earlier. They're playing each other this week in what has to be the game of the week. I would assume that college game day is going to be wherever this game is at. I think it's at a neutral site. Ohio State, in my mind, is a much better team than Notre Dame is at this point. Notre Dame being preseason top five, even Brad will tell you, it puts them at a disadvantage. Now, they're turning over a head coach, they're turning over a quarterback, there's a lot of changes. I think it's unfair to ask of a program like Notre Dame, which is always under a high level of scrutiny because of the fact that their fan base or their team is so polarizing, it's really difficult to put that kind of pressure on these kids with so many new things coming in. I said this about the New England Patriots coming into this season as well, that after the success of last year, there's no way that they could continue on that trend because they really haven't done anything to improve. 
So Notre Dame, there's so many unknowns. Maybe they do play well. I just see Ohio State being a program that's a little bit of a level above right now. I think they've had consistency under Ryan Day. Certainly they have made the playoff. Obviously last year, losing to Michigan, that's not a great outcome. But Ohio State has been so damn consistent with their recruiting, so consistent with their winning in their program. And Notre Dame, this is a lot to ask of them. And I just feel like Ohio State is going to come in and show that they are the cream of the crop. Now for Notre Dame, it's great to get that kind of a game out of the way. Even if they lose by 20 points, it doesn't really matter because what matters is where they are at the end of the season. And if they lose this game, but rip off all the rest of the games, then they've put themselves in a position to be in the playoff, especially when your one loss is to another playoff team. I mean, look at what happened to Alabama last year, losing to Georgia in the SEC title game, still getting in. Now they ultimately lost in the title game, but still Notre Dame is in a position to still do good things this season. They're just starting off with a really, really tough opponent. Other games, you have Georgia defending national champions, not really being talked about all that much playing against Oregon. Now, Oregon is another team very much like Notre Dame that has a lot of turnover and specifically at the head coaching position. Mario Cristobal, who had been there for years, has now moved on to Miami and you have a whole new regime. And this is, again, another program that I feel like it's a lot of the benefit of the doubt because they have been consistently in the top 25 for the most part. I think they get a little bit of a rub from all those Chip Kelly years where they played in the national championship game, Marcus Mariota years and so forth. But they're still a consistent program and they have a lot of money behind them because, of course, Nike headquarters being up there, they're going to compete. But this is another game where I feel like Oregon is coming in with a lot of differences from last season. And there's a lot of expectations on Georgia. And Georgia's a very solid football program. They're coming off a national title. Kirby Smart got paid in the offseason, and I just see Georgia being a little bit too much for this program, but it doesn't mean that Oregon can't still do good things within the Pac-12 because that is a pretty weak conference if you think about it. A lot of the teams have been down, and they have a little bit of competition. I think you're looking at Utah, maybe USC this season with Lincoln Riley there, of course. So I think they're putting themselves in a position to be successful, but again, this first game Man, it's tough. It's great when you see these teams play great opponents right out the gate, but man, is it tough to have to play a team like the defending national champions right out the gate. And I think it's just a huge ask. Some other games on the docket that I'm interested in, Cincinnati and Arkansas. Now, Cincinnati comes off of a playoff run where they had a great season last year. Losing their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, of course they keep their coach, and I think that they're going to be a good program. But last season was such an aberration. For a team like Cincinnati, who plays a little bit lesser of a schedule than others. Of course, they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Many things have to go right. Almost everything has to go right for an undefeated season. And I talked about Scott Frost and having those two seasons back-to-back -back that were so amazing. That means that a lot of things went right. And I think that a lot of good decisions were made. And so if you're talking about things going right, what is the probability that they're going to be able to catch fire twice? Now, they're coming up against an SEC opponent in Arkansas who has traditionally been outside of that top tier in the conference, but they've had a lot of really great consistent years lately. So starting at 17, do we know much about them? It's an SEC opponent. So Cincinnati is going to want to get that win under their belt if they want to make any noise at the national level, defeating an SEC team right out the gate. But I just feel that the SEC, again, is a little bit better equipped for these kind of games. And it's asking a lot. You're going from the team that they had in Cincinnati that went to the playoff last year to this particular year where they've had a lot of turnover. 
and it's a lot to ask. And I think that they are going to stumble, but I think they're going to give Arkansas what they can handle because they're a very well-coached team. If there's an upset alert that I have for this week, it's Utah. Now, interestingly enough, Brad told me last week that he thinks Utah is a sleeper for the playoff, and they're heading down to the swamp in Gainesville to play Florida. Florida is unranked in the preseason rankings, but as I said last week, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad team. It's a tough place to play, and they haven't had the kind of consistency down there that they are used to during the Steve Spurrier years and during the Urban Meyer years. But I think traveling to a hostile environment the first week of the season, it's gonna be a huge test. Obviously they're going from Utah, the time change and all that. It's week one, so they have a little bit more time to acclimate, but it's tough. So if there's a team in the top 10 that I feel is on upset alert this week, it's the Utah Utes, just because of where they are playing. They're favored, of course, and I think that ultimately they should win this game, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is a close game heading into the fourth quarter and they really have to eke it out. I'm very much looking forward to college football, finally in earnest, and I'm glad to get games like Nebraska and Northwestern out of the way, and I can't wait. I can't wait for college game day. It's all going to be very exciting. I'd love to know which games that you are interested in, and if you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comment section, and I say us, hopefully, that means that Brad will be back. Switching to the NFL. Now, the NFL has made a lot of headlines in the offseason for reasons that are outside of football. The NFL really holds our attention when it comes to the national spotlight in sports. Brad said it, it is America's game. Baseball is America's pastime, past being the key word. Over this past offseason, I did a lot of talking on my other show, Drip, Trip and Spill, about Deshaun Watson and I've been very vocal about that situation. Now, in thinking about it more, obviously I'm not a huge Deshaun Watson fan, but I think what really got me going more than anything was the fact that you had an organization in the Browns so thirsty for a Super Bowl win that they were willing to basically break everything and give Deshaun Watson a record contract knowing that all these allegations are following him. And I felt like they put their morals aside in order to win football games. Recently in the last week, we saw the Buffalo Bills have to make a very, very tough choice. Their punter who they just, I believe they just drafted him in the fourth round this year. His nickname is Punt God, Matt Ariza, and I believe that's how you say his name. Allegations came out from a 17-year-old girl who claims that he and two other San Diego State football players gang raped her. And I've got to tell you, the details that I have read that have been out there in the space, very, very uncomfortable. Deshaun Watson's behavior was serial, and it was, of course, disgusting, but there's something about gang rape that just makes it so much more grave. And you're talking about a 17-year-old girl. Now, it's a high school girl with college kids, and you could say what you want about why she was there in the first place and all that. And yes, of course, we, we can ask those questions, but from what I have read, it sounds like she was given alcohol, she was drugged, and passed on from one guy to the next. She showed up at the police station, she was bleeding, they took a rape kit, and they had her made a phone call to Matt Ariza about this particular incident. And on the phone, he talked about how she needed to go get tested. And as soon as he knew that she was at the police station and they were on the other end, things changed for him. Interestingly enough, he came out with his own statement about things and the Buffalo Bills didn't know that he was going to make the statement. What has happened since then is of course, these allegations are out there. He has been released by the team. and. The Bills are getting a lot of credit for this, and I'm not necessarily on the same boat as, yeah, they deserve a lot of credit. I'm not saying that they don't. They made the right decision, but here's the thing. It was the easy decision. It's the easy decision 
because of the fact that Deshaun Watson before him had such a backlash on the Browns, the Bills were never going to keep this guy. Now, I will say this. The Buffalo Bills can make this call because he is a punter. He's not the quarterback. If he's the starting quarterback, they are, quote, letting the process take its toll or letting the process go. And that's the thing is don't mistake their move for them being blameless in this. They knew a month ago about these allegations. San Diego State apparently knew seven months before they started investigating it. The culture of winning is real, folks, and it's an uncomfortable truth in sports that we just have to recognize. Brad and I talk about this. I'm still gonna watch the NFL, but at the same time, I don't have to root for the Buffalo Bills because I feel that they've put their morals aside. I have been a staunch opponent of Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft having drafted Aaron Hernandez. And I wanna know, what did they know? All the documentaries would lead you to believe that his secret life wasn't all that secret. Urban Meyer knew about it, and I'm sure Bill Belichick, who it's just, it's strange to me to think that Bill Belichick is one of the most prepared people in all of NFL history, would just not do his homework there and not find that out. That is what it is. Aaron Hernandez is dead, he's no longer with us, but it is what it is. I just want you to think a little bit differently about this bill situation. I understand that, hey, it's allegations. Why should he lose his job? This is a private employer and they're going to do what is best for their company. The optics of this, and this is what I want you to think about. If you're listening and you're a dad and you have a daughter or you have friends, how could you get yourself in this situation? And I mean, from Matt Arise's standpoint, if I'm sitting at a party and we're drunk and we're with other drunk people and I see this kind of behavior, I can't think of a situation in which that arouses me. I can't think of a situation in which I want to participate in this. If anything, I want to punch the shit out of the people that are doing this and I want to get her the help that she needs. I can't imagine being in a situation like this and just being okay with this, especially if she can't defend herself, especially if she is saying no, like there's just so many things about this and it's uncomfortable. The details are uncomfortable. Do I hope that none of this is true? Of course, but at the same time, gang rape to me feels so specific. We get on the cases of victims a lot because we say, well, how do you know? You're talking about a situation where well, if you have sex with somebody and then afterward you were like, man, I really wished I hadn't done that. You can say that they raped you. Those are those he said, she said moments that are really, really tough. But to say that somebody gang raped you and to identify certain people, that's very specific. And it's just, it feels specific enough that Occam's Razor, as my brother-in-law Mike pointed out on the other podcast that we have, the monthly morning quarterbacks, which you should check out wherever you find your podcast, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And for somebody to have these kinds of details, for the police to confirm that she made a phone call, and for him to basically come out and say in his own press release, yeah, I had sex with her, but I didn't do what she's saying that we did, talk about somebody who's unprepared for the moment. And so from a professional standpoint, the Bills had to get rid of the guy because he kind of went rogue on them. But it's the easy thing to do. They'll find another punter. And if it was Josh Allen, guarantee you he would be on the Buffalo Bills. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Two other things with the NFL. We'll stick with quarterbacks for a second here. Jimmy Garoppolo. He has been on the trade block. He has been in the news all offseason because the San Francisco 49ers, by all accounts, were going to move on to Trey Lance. They made that move to pull the trigger and have Trey Lance be their starting quarterback. They told him, they made an announcement, everything is good to go. Jimmy G is now on the sideline thinking, well, where, where is my future? Obviously, there's been a ton of quarterback movement. Baker Mayfield has gone to the Panthers. Everything has, all the dominoes have already fallen. 
and they announced this week that they have signed Jimmy G to a one-year deal and he is going to be Trey Lance's backup. On the surface of this, this seems like it's pretty innocent. Hey, we wanna have a good backup on the bench and maybe that is the case. But the whole offseason and whole preseason is now played out and you have to ask yourself, if the 49ers want to sign this guy to a one-year deal, how much confidence do they have in Trey Lance this year? I was very critical about Tua Tungavailoa because I said that at the time, Ryan Fitzpatrick was being put in to basically relieve him. And some would argue that it was like a relief pitcher in baseball. But historically, we've never seen that in football. Generally, if you're the guy, you're the guy, swim or drown. And Tua basically was not allowed to fail. And if he failed, he was relieved. And how nice is that in our lives? A lot of times when we fail, we don't have anybody to bail us out. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Trey Lance, I wanna know how much confidence do they have in him? Because they gave him the job and then they sign a guy who is familiar with the people, took him to the NFC Championship game last year. Sure, Jimmy G is not an A-plus quarterback, but he's a guy that can get you to the NFC Championship game. And you have to ask yourself, is this related to how confident they are in Trey Lance, that they wanna keep Jimmy G around in case Trey Lance is not that great? It's certainly a question to ask. I mean, from a football perspective, it's not that unintelligent to have a guy like Jimmy G on your bench, but will it hurt morale? What we found out about Jimmy G is that he was ghosting the team all off seasons, except after they drafted Trey Lance. And so is he motivated? Is he motivated to take his job back? How does he feel about being a backup? How does he feel about being paid as a backup? So many factors. Does this screw up the mojo of the team heading in? In my opinion, no matter what happens, and, and I feel like your backup quarterback situation is always bad. You wanna have a guy, if you need him to come in for a couple games, isn't going to overtly lose you the game. Now that's certainly Jimmy G, but Jimmy G is like the upper tier of backups at this point. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater would be another one, but I think I'd rather have Jimmy G than Teddy Bridgewater. Jimmy G at least has the opportunity to have a higher ceiling. He just makes a lot of those throws. You're like, God, why would you do that? I don't know. I think this should be interesting. The dynamic between Trey Lance and Jimmy G will be interesting. And wouldn't it be fascinating if Jimmy G started week one? We will see. Last thing in the NFL I want to get into, John Gruden. Oh man, John Gruden to me, I have been so critical of John Gruden ever since he got rehired to the Raiders. The 10 year, $100 million contract, and there was nothing to show for it. He came back into the league with this bravado that was completely unearned. He'd been out of the league forever. Sure, won a Super Bowl, fine. You get the currency that comes with that. Cleef says that all the time. But when it came to today's NFL, I felt like the game had passed him by. Last year, he gets fired. All the stuff with the emails that are a part of the Washington Commander's investigation, which by the way, the NFL has not given us any information on, and he gets fired. Now, I was on his side when he sued the NFL because I said that I think that there's a nuance to this that needs to be recognized. John Gruden can be a bad person or a terrible person, make terrible decisions, but he also could have gotten railroaded by the NFL, his employer. Why do I say that? Well, we don't know what else happened in the Washington Commander's investigation. He took the fall, so the NFL didn't have to release anything else. He's the fall guy. Again, not absolving him of wrongdoing, not absolving him of being somebody that really doesn't need a job NFL anymore, but it just is a bad look for the NFL for them not to give us, the public, more information. But they're gonna fire John Gruden over what he said. It makes me wonder, and it should make you wonder, what else is in that investigation that is worth looking at? So Gruden hasn't been seen for a while because as we all know, when people have these mistakes in their past, they have to go away for a while, 
do some reflecting and they come back. So he comes back at some football club in Arkansas and I can't remember, It's I think it's a famous thing anyway. And he's talking about this and there's a clip that's out there that unfortunately I don't have access to, but basically John Gruden says that in looking back at this, he's gonna be real, he's gonna be honest. And he is ashamed at what took place around those emails. Very interesting wording there for Mr. Gruden around these emails. Dude, it's what you said in the emails. He's trying to distance himself from the emails. He's got a lawsuit out there against the NFL, which continues to climb, by the way. But it doesn't absolve you from having said those things. Maybe that's not who you are. And you come out and say that. It's not who I am. Or at the time that I said those things, maybe it was who I am. But as I've gotten older, as I've done some reflecting, and even seeing the backlash that, that came forth from everything that I said in these emails, I've done a lot of thinking. And I'm ashamed of that behavior. I'm ashamed of what I said, but I'm committed to be a better person. Because I think that in today's society, we are too swift to cancel people in a way that is so finite. We are not giving them the space to grow as people. And many times people don't grow as people. However, we need to be given that opportunity because I think we would all want to be afforded that in our worst times. But John Gruden also comes out to say that, hey, I'm a good person. I go to church. I've been married for 30 years. Let me tell you something. As somebody who is a former Catholic, there are a lot of people that go to church every single week who are scummy human beings. Just because you go to church and just because you're married doesn't mean that you're a crappy person. There are a lot of men that have been married who've been cheating on their spouses the whole time. Does that make them good people because they are married? John Gruden clearly doesn't get what happened. And maybe it's intentional. Maybe his, his approach is intentional, but honestly, it's frustrating because he wants a job in the NFL. He wants to be given another shot. Why should we give you another shot? When first of all, you're old in comparison to the other coaches, it wasn't as if his team was out there being super successful. Look at the draft classes they've had. They just got rid of Alex Leatherwood. They released him. Henry Ruggs kills somebody, probably never play football again. How great was John Gruden at his job? Wasn't like they were blowing the doors off the AFC West and making the playoffs. They didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, come on. And Gruden just, he's tone deaf. He doesn't get it. He doesn't think that what he did was wrong because at the time that he said it, hey, I'm used to saying these things. He said it in a work environment. He used his work email. Like there's so many bad things about this. It's just, it was all wrong. And I guess all the reflecting that he did didn't matter a lick. He didn't really get it. I hope that he goes away. I really do. I don't think he's going to get a job. I mean, he probably will. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure that there are some hungry franchise, <clears throat> the Browns, who are probably willing to give him a job because he comes with some currency of winning a Super Bowl. But all the extracurriculars, I mean, I just wish he was a little bit more reflective on it. I wish he understood what happened. Again, I don't want to always indict people to the point that they can't be rehabilitated. I don't want people to feel like their worst moment defines them forever. But when your worst moment happens in a public setting and happens as a part of an NFL investigation that could have more, when you come back from this rehabilitation and this silence, it shouldn't be distancing yourself from what happened. Own up to it and talk about what you've learned. And to me, what he has learned is that he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. So good riddance to John Gruden. All right, everybody. Half hour went by real quick this time, hopefully. Hopefully we will get an update on Brad. I'm a little bit nervous. Like I said, Cornhusker Nation, if you have Brad, please release him. We need this show back. The show is killing it and college football starts this weekend. I need something from you. To everybody else, don't forget to support two things. MattySmedia.com, which is where you can find all the other podcasts that I'm not only a host of, but support. 
Drip, Trip, and Spill, the manual political football. And of course, I want you to support the Pub Time Podcast, which is where Brad's home is with Ryan, Brad, Dick. They're doing great things. It's a much different show and acquired taste, but I'd love it if you supported them. If you're listening in the podcasting space, please subscribe, rate, and review. Those ratings and reviews mean a lot. They just do. We need that connection. And if you are listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. Hope everybody had a great week. I can't wait for college football next week. Hopefully Brad is back and we're going to talk about the NFL. And I can't wait for that either. Hope this finds you safe. And I hope that you have a great rest of your week. Peace, everybody. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad are those of Matt, Brad, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad is exclusively owned by Matt and Brad and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.